So the, here's the Maimer of 1953, the second Maimer, which the Rebbe said in the wee hours of the morning, after many, many hours of Habringen, where the Rebbe became very serious and told that little anecdote I mentioned in the other post about the, the Chassid who screamed, Hoorah, Hoorah, and then the Rebbe went straight to this Maimer, and then they found out that Stalin had died. So, as I mentioned, that this Maimer is about the downfall of Haman and this deeper inner spiritual um, mechanics, uh, so to speak, the, the dynamics of what led to the downfall on a spiritual level. And what was Haman thinking, and how was he in the end actually uh, it led to his downfall? The first Rebbe questioned why is the Yontav called Purim? Purim means. It says clearly, the reason they called it Purim is because of the lot that Haman uh, cast it uh, when he wanted to destroy the Jewish people, and he wanted to know which month he should do it. And it came out on Adar, and he was very happy, because he thought it's the month that Moshe died, so it's a bad month, Jews, it's, it's a, con- a condemning month for the Jews, but he didn't know that this is also the month Moshe Rabbeinu was born, so therefore <clears throat> he was wrong. It was actually a good month. So the question is, why, if you want to name a Yontav, when we celebrate the victory and the salvation, and the victory over Haman, why would you use the name which takes us back to the um, time when Haman was trying to kill us? This was actually a time of tragedy, a time of fear and panic amongst the Jewish people. So, <clears throat> the word Purim means because of the poor, the lottery that Haman casted to try to destroy the Jews. That's not a time when we should a time that we should celebrate. It's a time when we were in a very difficult and very precarious situation. So we should give a name which uh, captures the celebration, right? The celebratory aspect of the of the holiday. Why Purim? <clears throat> so you could say that because. As we said before, Haman thought that Adar is a, is a good month to kill the Jews because it's a time of, of doom and gloom. Moshe died. But he was wrong because it's a, the month that Moshe also was born, which is a good month. So the miracle is that it fell, the, the lottery fell on Adar, which actually was good for us. But the Rebbe says that the, 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 the wording, Purim, we say the word Purim, that the... The name of, of a holiday, the, like the name of anything, as the Baal Shem Tov taught us, the name of something in Torah uh, depicts the essence of what the thing is about. The word, the name of the Yontav is Purim. Lots. It's not about Haman's lot. It says Hashem Apur, but the word Purim means lots. That means that the, the, the theme of Purim is, is the concept of lots. Not when the lot came out, came out another, and was out of a good month. That's not what's reflected in the name Purim. What's reflected in the name Purim is the idea of lots is deeply connected to the entire theme of the Yontav. That's why it's its name. The name captures the essence of something. How does the name Purim, which means lots, capture the essence of, a yontav, of this Yontav? So the Rebbe said that we know of what it says in many Svarim, also in Sifri Kabbalim, the Alter Rebbe brings it that Purim and Yom Kippur have something very in common. And therefore the name Yom Kippurim, it says from Arizal, means Kippurim. 
that Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is like Purim. That means Purim is even higher than Yom Kippur. Even though Yom Kippur is a biblical holiday, it's a fast day in and Purim is only in Rabbanon, Purim is higher. So what's the theme that unites Yom Kippur and Purim? What do they have in common? In, in essence, they're, they're opposites. Yom Kippur is a time of fasting, and Purim is a time of feasting. Fasting and feasting are opposites. <clears throat> so the answer is, is, we see, first of all, the concept of goyrol. The concept of lottery, lots. Lots being, th- being, being thrown, being casted on both Yom Kippur and Purim. Purim, it was Haman that casted lots. And on Yom Kippur, it was the Kain Godel that was supposed to cast lots between two goats, the two Seirim. One went to Azazel and one went to Akarbin, to Hashem. So there was lottery. So it's the only Yomte when we had to make lots in the Beis HaMikdash. So, what's, so we see already a connection between Purim and Yom Kippurim. And that's why Purim and Yom Kippurim both have the word lots in them. Because the, lot, the lots that were casted on Yom Kippur is not just an incidental thing. It captures something very essential about the Yom of, of Yom Kippur. And the same thing with Purim. Another thing we find, that the name of Hashem is never mentioned in the whole Megillah. The Yud Kevavkei, God's name is not mentioned at all. And it says in Kabbalah that Yom Kippur also is a, a level of, um, of divine energy that shines in Yom Kippur in the world, comes from a place called Lifni Hashem. Lifni Hashem Titharutz, Apostolic in the Parshah the Yom Kippur, the, 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 we, we get purified from a place which is even higher than the Yud Kevavke. What is Yud Kevavke? We know from Kabbalah that Yud is Chochme, K is Bina, Vav is the six, six Midas. It, it reflects, Yud Kevavke is the beginning of the unfolding of the Seder Ishtal Shalos. That means the chain of worlds of consciousness that God created that leads all the way down to our world. It's already um, part of the chain of creation. So Yud Kivavki is already the light of Hashem that shines in the higher realms. But the higher realms, as they are a, um, a prelude to the lower worlds, all the way to our world. And the building blocks of this world start first and foremost in the higher worlds, in the world, world of Atzilas and Embri, Atzilas here. But it's all part of that hierarchy. But there is a world, there's a dimension not a world, a dimension which is higher than creation, higher than even the loftiest realms. It's called Lifni Hashem. It's higher than Hashem. It's, it's within Hashem, deeper than Hashem. And on Yom Kippur, that's what Hashem exposes in the world, which is why Yom Kippur is a time for atonement. Because atonement is only possible when we're able to appeal um, to Hashem as He is beyond uh, a creator, beyond being a creator of a, of a hierarchy of worlds. Because as Hashem limited Himself, constrained Himself to be a, 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 a resource for creation, uh, which is a great symptom, it's a great constraint for Him, because He's infinitely beyond being a creator. But when he, Hashem chose to limit Himself to become a creator, and why did he do that? Because he wanted to have an, a, an interaction with us, a relationship. And a relationship that, uh, where our actions, what we do, would matter to him. 
would have actually real consequences. In other words, that he would reciprocate giving us blessings uh, based on this template in which he engaged in, which he constrained himself into, uh, to interact with us, um, that whether if we do things right, then uh, we, as if pull the strings, we elicit and, and evoke uh, a similar response from above. Because within that framework of relationship, everything is like a give and take. Um, it's a give and take framework. Where Hashem says, well, you do mitzvahs, and I give you chesed. You do bad things, and I give you gvura. Right? So there's a, a, a kind of reciprocity between us and Hashem. But when Hashem, where Hashem is beyond creation, beyond being a creator, beyond that tzimtzum, that con, constraint of, of becoming part of our world of creation and interacting with us, there there is absolutely no... Um, our actions are not as offensive there. Because we're so insignificant that what we do or don't do in and of itself doesn't have much value. Because it's, God is so infinitely great there. <clears throat> but our whole being there in, in the context of that level of God is, is totally invaluable, insignificant. So therefore, when we appeal to Hashem, for Hashem's Rachmim to forgive us, because we do tshuva, it's because we are reaching to Hashem as He is beyond creation. But, but how is that similar to uh, Purim? No, no, we'll see you're in a moment. Saying, we'll see in a moment. Saying, he says that okay, Purim... We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <clears throat> He's going to show that the concept of a lottery... What is a lottery? A lottery is when you do... You wanna, you're facing an impasse. You look at two things. And you don't know which one to choose. You, can, you need to choose one or the other. If there is a difference between the two, one is the more favorable, let's say, has more favorable properties, you don't need a lottery because you know right away what, what you should choose. The only, when, when you use a lottery, when there is absolutely no reason associated with the object of choice that would, that would pull you in either direction, right? They're both so equal. Yeah. That's when you use that. And actually, in the halacha, it was the Yom Kippur, when the two goats were presented in front of the Kayin Gadol, you know, they cast two lots. Which one should go to Azazel? Which one should go to a Korban? It says that there had to be the Ketchila, the, the mitzvah was, should be equal in height, equal in appearance, I mean, the same fat and health, and yeah. equal in value. And, you know, the, the amount of money that they they're valued, that they're valued at should be the same. In other words, because the whole kind of a lottery is that when things are the same, and yet you choose something because of some random decision that a lottery made for you, right? As far as yeah. you're concerned, you don't have any basis to choose one over the other because they're so equal. In other words, the kind of a lottery means that, that the reason you end up choosing this over that is not based on logic. It's, it's, it's something greater than logic. And that's what the lottery is. You said, let's the lottery decide for me. Right? So the same thing um, with Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the concept of a lottery because it's a time where Hashem, as He is, not bound by our behavior. Right? It's be, where it's beyond that framework 
where he constrained himself to become part of a relationship and uh, the, the attitude of Hashem to us will very much be contingent on what we do or what we don't do. But the way Hashem is beyond that framework, before he made that symptom, right? That uh, constraining. There, there, what we do or we don't do doesn't, is not offensive. Um, <clears throat> and therefore, this kapora atonement comes when we appeal to that. We appeal to Hashem as He is beyond that framework. We say, right? It's like people say, Avino Malkeinu. Malkeinu is God the way He's a king. A king has rules and laws. It's the way the you know the king is in a relationship with us based on on our behavior, right? He gives us, and we we expect it to reciprocate. But when you say he's a father too, that means there there is it's not logical. It's beyond logic and beyond any framework. It's just it's intrinsically by nature a father and son are bonded. No matter what the son does or doesn't do, it's still the relationship is still there. The father is a father and the son is still a son. So when we ask, let's say, when a king, somebody uh, did something wrong against the king, so as a king, he would punish the son. But as a father, he would override it. Okay? That's what we say, Rosh Hashanah, Ravinu, and Malkeinu. We say to Hashem, yes, as a melech, we offended you. But as a father, we want you to forgive us. Because the father is the dimension of God, the way he's beyond, beyond that framework of rule, and laws and rules and expectations. And that's what Shuva does. Shuva reveals and connects us with that level within Hashem, where Hashem is not bound by what we do, and therefore He can forgive us. There He is able to override and overlook what we did and forgive us for the sins. This is the concept in Kabbalah in Hasidus. And this is the concept of lottery. A lottery is also beyond logic. And in the spiritual realms, it means the lottery is the, the, the picked, the notes, a level of divine, of the divine which is beyond the framework of creation. And same thing, Purim. Purim is a time when uh, Hashem's conduct with us was not through normal channels. The way it was in the time of the Besamikdash, it was in the time of exile. The time of the Besamikdash, it was more like an open relationship, right? Where our, our actions, our behavior, dictated in a very open and overt way how he related to us. That's why we saw divine revelations. In the Beis Amikdash, it was a time of great miracles. But uh, in the time of Haman, it was a time when it was concealment. Haman wanted to kill all the Jews, and he seemed to be getting away with it. It was not a time of divine revelation and openness, like in the time of the Beis Amikdash. In other words, it's a time when Hashem conducted the affairs of the world on a more transcendent level. He was more, more, in a way he retreated, so to speak, from this intimate bond and relationship that he forged with us through Torah and mitzvahs. This is the relationship between Yom Kippur and Purim. It says that Purim was also an idea of atonement for the Jews, and even today. Because when the Jews faced Haman, they realized that the reason this happened is because Haman, because the Jews sinned. It says in the Gemara, they benefited from this Russia, from the meal of Achashverosh, it was a Russia. And it was not just a trefa, maybe it was even kosher, maybe Achashverosh 
gave them kosher food, but it was a chilol Hashem. We know that Achashverosh took out the, all the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash that his predecessor had captured during the Churban by his rishon, and he, he made a desecration of the Jewish people and the whole Beis Hamikdash at this party for Jews to participate was a chilol Hashem. Now here we see that even Purim is greater than Yom Kippur, because the Gemara says that Yom Kippur. For Chilul Hashem, Yom Kippur is not enough to atone. Chilul Hashem is the worst type of Avera. You know, Yom Kippur alone, with Shuvah, you need Shuvah, is Mechaper for any regular mitzvahs, Asei and Lot Asei. Averas which you get, Mises Bezdin, or Kores, or Mises Bedei Shemaim, uh, Yom Kippur alone with Shuvah is not enough. You need also a little bit of suffering in your life to wash away the severity of the sin. And then there's the third, the highest level, which is Chilul Hashem. There even Yesurim, suffering is not enough. Yom Kippur, Yesurim, and Tshuva, and Yom Amisa, the day of the person dies, that's when he can be forgiven. Again, if he does Tshuva. By, by Yippurim, we see a strange thing. The Jews were making Chilul Hashem. They ate from the, They participated in the merriment and the celebration and the festivities that involve the desecration of Hashem's name, desecrating the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash, and also he celebrated the anniversary of the of the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. Also, that was part of the, the celebration. So they committed chilul Hashem, and yet Hashem forgave them that day, and they scored a victory. So we see that Purim, the power of Kapara of Purim, is greater than the power of Kapara of Yom Kippur, which is why Darizal says it's Kapurim. Purim is higher. But they have something in common. They're both Lifnei Hashem, Lifnei Havaya. They are higher than Hashem's name. That means it's a time when uh, it's, it's a time when when Hashem exposes that at that time Yom Kippur and Purim is a side of Him which is not restricted by the relationship, which is more limited, right? Through the Sephiras, through the worlds, the hierarchy of worlds that He created, where there, there's a channel, there's a specific channel of Ashpah, of beneficence that Hashem showers down to us blessings based on our actions, Torah mitzvahs, it's unconditional, it's limitless. It's also not very revealed, it's not in a very intimate way, it's more transcendent. But there's a flip side to this. And the Rebbe explains that Haman, why did he throw a lottery? Why did he resort to the mechanics of a lottery? What was behind this? Why couldn't he just look at the calendar and say, oh, okay, I'll pick a month? What was the, the lottery issue? There was something about the lottery that Haman understood is associated with a type of conduct where Hashem conducts the world on a level like a lottery. That means it's not based on any reasoning because we do something or don't do something. From the perspective of the Seder uh, Ishtal Shalos, the way Hashem connects with us through the expectations of Torah Mitzvahs, there's a more intimate relationship. Hashem constrains Himself to become more involved with us. There, Homer would not have a chance because he knows that the whole purpose of creation seen through the lens of Hishtalshalos, through this chain of creation, is that there is a purpose. Why does he create a world? It's a purpose. The purpose is Torah Mitzvahs. 
So Torah and Mitzvahs, what does Haman have to do? Haman was a Russia. He had no shachas Torah and Mitzvahs. The purpose was the Jews. They are the center, they are the center of the purpose of creation. So seen through the lens of Hashem's engagement with us, through this constraint of becoming part of our lives and being in a relationship with us through Torah and Mitzvahs, there's no chance for Haman to be able to convince Hashem to let him get away with killing the Jews. Because even the lowliest Jew is filled with mitzvahs, as Chazal tells us. Right? So uh, Haman, who's a Rasha Gomor, has no chance against the Jews. What did he want to do? He wants to raise the bar. He said, you know what? <coughs> Haman wanted to have Hashem retreat from this type of relationship where he's in an intimate bond with the people through Torah Mitzvahs and, and, and connect to the world in a more, you can say, aloof way where he's more transcendent, he's removed. And there, the, their good and evil are, are seen as equal. They don't really matter as much because Hashem is infinite. And then he has a chance, even Haman can prevail you know, he used to do some of his magical tricks and he'll manipulate some forces. But there he felt that Hashem can be manipulated because Hashem doesn't care so much whether it's a Jew or an Andrew, whether it's evil or good, because there Hashem is way beyond creation. The whole world of good and evil and where good and evil matters is only in a world which is already, where Hashem has already constrained himself to be connected to the world. But as he is beyond creation, there's no. there's no. The good and evil that men do, do what the men do, have a very little relevance to him. As, as Eov says, Im If you sin, what do you do to him? Nothing. If you, your intentional sins are many and numerous, it doesn't affect him at all. What is he taking from you? I mean, you, you're like nothing compared to his exalted being, the way he is before he constrained himself to become part of our world. And he says, this is what Haman wanted to achieve. And he thought that's when he has a chance. Then we're equal. It, that level of God is an equalizer. Haman, the Jews, there's no prioritizing you're there. Saying, you're saying because Hashem's connection with us for Purim, at, during the times of Purim, wasn't like through the normal channels? It was a time of Golas. There is a time of Goral, a time when things are not logical. Right? And things are beyond... We're still in that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But where was Haman wrong then? How come we celebrate the same... We say, no, the lottery is actually the reason for our victory. He thought the lottery is going to give him the extra edge to win over us, but it worked the opposite. And the Rebbe explains, why is that? Because even though Hashem, as He's transcendent beyond creation... Everything is nothing, insignificant there, because everything is just a Bible, uh, incidental to him. But there is another level of connection Hashem has with us, and with us only. And that level is not based on Hashem determining that our actions are valuable, but on a whole different level. It's what's called Bechira Chafshis, an absolute... Um, pressure-free choice. When we say pressure-free, uh, it means it's, pressure doesn't just mean that somebody holds a stick over your head and pressures you to choose this or that. Pressure can also be reason. 
a logical person who understands that this thing is better than this thing, is it's, it's a lot of pressure for him not to choose what he understands to be right. Right? So when we say, that God chooses freely whomever he wants, and he cho- chose the Jewish people, he chose Torah and Mitzvahs, we're talking about even on a level where Hashem is beyond, infinitely beyond creation. Because there the choices are not because the thing he chooses has any influence on the choice. There everything is insignificant. But there it's because Hashem is free and chooses because that's what he wants. And, and, and on that level there's nothing but him. Everything is bottled to him. And he chooses what should be valuable, what should not be valuable. And the reason it's valuable is because that's what he chose. It's not that he's choosing it because it's valuable. It's valuable because he chose it. And that choice happens at the deepest level. Not only the way Hashem is beyond creation, but the way Hashem's essence. And Hashem's essence is nothing but His essence. And anything which is valuable is only because He chose it to be valuable. And even on that level, Hashem says, I chose the Jewish people. What does the Navi say? I think it was um, Avadia. came from Esav. And he prophesied the downfall of Esav. Och Esav Yaakov. Yaakov and Esav are brothers. Yeah? That means they're equals. To Hashem, they're all Him. Nevertheless, I chose to love Yaakov. This Esav Sanesi, and I chose to hate Esav. So when Haman tried to raise the level of conduct in the world to a level where it doesn't matter, everything is equal, but he didn't understand that there is a deeper level there where Hashem chooses the Jewish people and Torah mitzvahs, Davke the Jews and Davke Torah mitzvahs. Yes, there it's not because we are important. There it's because this is what the essence of Hashem chooses. And this happens, you know how? How do we elicit that level of God to come to the fore? And then automatically, Haman has a downfall and we are saved. This is when we also exercise the same type of potential of choice. When we choose Torah Mitzvah, not only because it's good, it brings us to Gan Eden, but we choose it because our, the essence of our neshama couldn't do otherwise. There's something in the essence of our souls that are one with Hashem. And the reason we choose Hashem, we choose Torah Mitzvah, is not because of any reason. It's because that we choose it. It's not because Torah Mitzvah, yes, Torah Mitzvah is extremely valuable on a spiritual level. But our, our connection to the mitzvahs is not only because the mitzvahs are valuable, it's because our very essence is, is tied to the mitzvahs. On a level which is beyond reason, beyond uh, influence from anywhere, it's just our neshama, so one with Hashem. And when we do that, we completely surrender to Hashem. That's the Mesiris Nefesh. That, that came out and expressed itself in the Mesiris Nefesh of the Jews by Purim. As we know that even though it always says that Hanukkah was Mesiris Nefesh, the Greeks wanted the Jews, they gave them a choice. You either bow down to the statue or we kill you. You break Shabbos or we kill you. You uh, abolish uh, circumcision or we kill you. And the Jews chooses to die. That's Kiddush, that's Mesiris Nefesh. But a Purim, it says usually that Hama didn't ask us to do anything. He just wanted to kill Just like Hitler. Hitler just wanted to kill the Jews, right? So where was the Mesiris Nefesh? Where was the initiative on the part of the Jew that shows our incredible commitment. Says the Alter Rebbe that even on Purim there was such a thing. Because on Purim, even though Hama didn't ask us to convert to some other religion, 
he just wanted to kill us. But if a Jew were to convert to the Persian religion, Haman wouldn't have killed him. Because Haman's decree was against Jews. In his book, if a Jew converts to the Persian religion, he's not Jewish. So he automatically wouldn't, by, by de facto, he wouldn't be, um, by default, he wouldn't be part of the decree. And no Jew, for the entire 11 months that they were living under the threat of Haman's decree, no Jew chose to convert to the, to the Persian religion to save his life. So there was a little bit of a choice there. Except that the choice didn't come directly from Haman. It was a choice that Jew could have opted to take to save his life. So the Messiah Islam the Jews had on Purim is, that, is an expression of that very quintessential bond that a Jew has with Hashem that is not logical. And when the Jews showed their bond to, to with Hashem on such a level, Hashem reciprocated and revealed His essential connection with us, which is the pchirat, the, the choice, We say, you chose us. It doesn't say, you loved us. That says later. But first it says, you chose us. You loved us, you lifted us up. These are already results of the Bechartanu. Bechartanu is the most essential um, impetus for the connection, for the relationship. Because Hashem is saying, I, my, you know, at my very essence, determined that the Jews should be my people. And I should give them Torah Mitzvahs. And that's what Haman didn't understand. And that's why, in the end, it's the Goyrel, it's the Purim, Al Shema Pur is that same Pur that Muhammad thought will work to his advantage, actually ended up being a, a channel. He opened up a channel where Hashem's deepest bond with us, which is based on his free choice, was exposed on Purim, which then naturally led to the downfall of Haman. And so that night when the Rebbe said the Mimer, the Rebbe also brought down the Haman of that time which is Stalin. And during that forbringing, he died. I just wanted to add that this idea of Bechira Chavshis sheds light on a contemporary issue. The people often ask, we say the chosen people. You know, people said it smacks with racism, elitism, we're special, we were chosen. But if you understand the deeper meaning of Bechira Chavshis, that Hashem chose us, what that means, it's, it's not that Hashem chose us because we're special. We're special because He chose us. In other words, choice means that something comes from such a place where there's nothing but the chooser. Nothing else exists there. And the chooser is the only thing, the only one who decides whether something should be special or not. There is no other basis, a source for making something special, other than the chooser's choice. In other words, when Hashem chooses us, it's not because He looked at us and said, oh, these people are superior to others. No, and it's just chooses. that He chose us, so we're special, yeah. And that's not racism, because that saying is intrinsically, it left our own devices, without Hashem, we're not special. He just happened to choose, why He chose us? There's no logical reason, you're right. There's absolutely no reason, as far as we're concerned, um, who we are and who, who the Goyim are. Och Esav le Yaakov. Yaakov and Esav are equals, they're brothers. From the perspective of Hashem's very essence, the way Hashem chooses things in His very essence, it's not nothing to do with how unique we are. Because on that level, there's, but nothing, there's nothing, 
There's no judgment about anything outside him. Everything is him. Everything is really him. He's the essence of everything. So when he chooses, it's because he chooses. The, 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 the basis of the choice has nothing to do with, with the object he's choosing. It's got to do with his ability of not being confined to randomness. In other words, like this. In generally, we say if something is insignificant, then the choice you make, it's impossible to choose on a, on a logical level. It's impossible to make a choice. You can't choose anything because there's no basis for it. So you use a lottery. What's a lottery? Lottery means both are equally good. Let, 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 whatever, whatever the outcome is, will go. It can be this way, it can be that way. There's no difference. The fact that the lottery comes out in one way or another is, it has, has nothing to do... It doesn't, it doesn't translate into anything unique about the object that we chose. Because on a level where there is no difference between one thing and another, it's not possible to choose one specifically because I'm choosing this and not the other. If I choose randomly one, it's because it was random. And it, and it doesn't translate into anything specific about the thing that I chose, or oh, now this is special. Because I'm bound by being, by everything being insignificant, everything being irrelevant. But I'm choosing it just randomly. Hashem's essence is not bound by anything. Not even by being beyond, uh, infinitely greater than everything. He can choose to be, to choose something that He wants to choose. And that becomes important. Because He chose it. Anyways, there's a lot to talk about this, but it has ramifications in, in contemporary conversations and discussions. No, this is great. I, I think it's